Hi all and welcome back to Bad Grads. Uh, Callie and I have not posted or recorded an episode since we released our first one back in May. Um, We did that out of respect for the Black Lives Matter movement. We did not want to take up space on the internet. But now we are going to be posting our second episode that we recorded back in May. That being said, please still support the Black Lives Matter movement. As many of you have noticed, uh, the news is no longer covering the immense amount of mobilization that is occurring in this country across so many cities and so many places like here in Portland. There's been a protest every single night since May. So just because the news is not showing this does not mean it's still not happening. Um, please find your local grassroots activist groups, your youth groups, anyone that is currently mobilizing right now to fight injustice in this country and support them. So again, please keep on supporting. If you cannot go out to the protests, rallies, or sit-ins, please donate, share correct information, and continue to educate yourself. Keep signing and sharing positions. Keep being loud. Don't back down. Don't be quiet right now. Just keep educating yourself. Keep getting the word out there. And on that note, uh, Callie and I are very excited to start recording again and start posting uh, and talk about a lot of really important things that need to be discussed within criminology as a academic discipline. Um, and we know that we are probably not the most qualified to talk about these issues as we're still young academics and we're learning, but that's kind of what this podcast is, um, as you know. So without further ado, uh, here is the second episode of Bad Grads. Uh, Stay safe, stay healthy, stay active, and wear a goddamn mask, please. Hey everybody, welcome back to Bad Grads Podcast. This is our second episode. We debuted, debuted? We debuted our podcast two weeks ago. We're going to be posting... We debuted last week. Yeah, for us, but when they hear this, it'll be two weeks. Oh, shit, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Math. Ow, fuck. Time. <laughs> yeah, so this week, it's been a pretty weird week. For instance, today, the farmer's market, you'd think everybody would still... I don't understand how that's open, first of all. Second of all, nobody's socially distant. Everybody's running around, being all friendly, getting their groceries, but they're also getting just, like, flowers. Just for funsies. Y'all are just hanging out doing your pictures. This isn't Instagram moment. So I don't really understand how that's allowed, but it is. Wow. That's really annoying because I hear it on my street and everyone's just so loud. And I had to close my windows because they're packing it up right now. And so I'm just like, can you guys be quiet? I'm kind of (laughs) busy. Jesus. That's that's not smart. That's not not smart. smart. Wear a mask, everyone. Please wear a mask outside. If you don't know, if you don't have a mask, you can use a bandana. Bandana. Uh, People got real creative in using underwear. Uh, Cute. I saw people using bras. Yeah, honestly. And also, if you don't have a mask, but you have a sewing machine or a needle and thread and some old t-shirts, look up a pattern online. Really easy. I make my own mask. It's something fun to do and it's staying safe. It's protecting you and it's protecting other people. And I hate that that's now a political statement. It's just like, why is that fucking mask? Because people don't believe in science. 
People don't believe in science and they're idiots. And all of a sudden they have a right to their own body, except when it's affecting others. They're saying, you can't control my body. It's like, we've been saying this for years, dude. Exactly. It's like, this is not the same thing. You're hurting other people now. You can't compare being made to wear a goddamn mask to protect people from virus to reproductive rights. Like, completely fucking different. It's like... Oh, it it pisses me off. It doesn't. No, no, no. It's like bitches. You can go outside and like run around the block. That's like going to the gym. Just fucking go into your mirror, shave your head off. Who needs hair? We're in a pandemic. God damn it. Just do it. No one cares. Fucking wear wigs. They're dope. Like oh, shut that the fuck would be up. fun. I I, w- I kind of want to show up to work with just like a lavender wig. Oh, do it. I have so many wigs. Like not here, but like I have. I think I have like twenty or something. don't tell me i will take one i'll give it back but wait no okay when i get back to portland and we can like legally hang out together when we do our 2000 sleepover can we wear wigs yes it's gonna be our moment hillary duff moment (laughs) this is what can we watch the hillary duff movie the one where her brother dies the one i was obsessed with oh (laughs) no that one you cried about that i'm talking about the one that the the lizzie mcguire movie oh I don't know why I said the Hillary Duff movie. It's Hillary Duff, but it's Lizzie McGuire. Yeah, we can watch that. That's also a great movie. I'll probably cry during that, too. Paolo makes me so mad. (laughs) (laughs) I get so mad, and I'm an angry crier. So I'll just be like, how dare you do this to her? Us sitting in our wigs, drinking Moscato, eating cheese. That sounds good. Watching Lizzie McGuire. I can go ahead and get right into my topic of the week, and I will go ahead and give a heads up and a bit of a trigger warning. This is a pretty heavy topic to begin with, and there is a trigger warning for sexual assault and the death of a child in this, but I will be talking about the case of April Tinsley a bit, and I'm going to be referencing the Golden State Killer case as well. So I know a lot of us probably already know about the Golden State Killer case. It's blown up in the media because it was the serial rapist slash murderer back in, was it the 70s and 80s, Kate? Mm-hmm. And yes. um, basically, he recently was caught due to ancestry de- genealogy. And it was a huge deal. And not oh, as many yeah. people know about the April Tinsley case, which was very similar in nature. And so I wanted to talk a bit about that and then get more into the genealogy within the criminal justice system. Cool. Well, before you go on, I think mm-hmm. we've talked about this before, but did you see that uh, the uh, Michelle McNamara book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which does go oh, over the Golden State Killer, um, is going to be a documentary series. <laughs> so excited hbo we, oh my god so we know we're gonna watch that but we're gonna also, watch it book plug if you have not read it please do uh it's michelle mcnamara unfortunately passed away before that she was able to complete the book but her editor her um uh, ex-husband or i get her husband until she passed and then I feel uh, like that still counts as her husband yeah her husband and then uh her um were able to complete the book and publish it and it Which was published so nice. months before the golden state killer was caught so um i, I hate like, that she didn't get to see that but i'm glad that they still got to have that book made for her and it's doing so well absolutely but yeah that was just my little interruption please continue <laughs> okay okay i was actually gonna talk about it too so i'm glad you went ahead and brought it up <clears throat> But April Tinsley was an eight-year-old girl, and she lived in Fort Wayne, Indiana. She was born in 1980, and this case actually takes place in 1988 when April was playing with a couple of her friends down the street from her house. And keep in mind, this is 1988, so it's not as big of a deal for kids to be by themselves. She's also down the street, so she's a couple houses away 
it's not a big deal. She can walk home. And her friends say that she forgot her umbrella, so she goes back to get it. I guess it was raining. It wasn't really specified, but she felt like she needed to go get her umbrella. She goes back, but she's never seen again. And when her mom, I know, and they thought nothing of it, obviously. They're just like, well, I guess she just, you know, went home and ended up staying. No big deal. But her mom reported that she never came home for dinner or anything. So she called the police. And so she was last seen around 3 p.m. that day when she did leave for that. And this was Good Friday. So they weren't in school. That's why they were out playing instead of being in school at 3 p.m. Obviously, normally they would have just gotten out. But they had been just hanging out. And so when she didn't arrive home, like I said, her mom reported her. And this was on April 4, April 1st. And then neighbors reported seeing a white man in his mid-30s about forcing a child in that looked like April's description into a blue pickup truck. Mm-hmm. And this wasn't previously reported when they first saw it because realistically, they just thought it was a kid who didn't want to leave hanging out with their parents, like yeah. hanging out with their friends. They thought, oh, that kid just doesn't want to go home yet. No big deal. Obviously, unfortunately, that was not the case. But a couple days later on April 4th, so as I mentioned, April went missing on April 1st. I'm going to be saying April a lot. It's a very consecutive theme here. Um, <laughs> on April 4th, a jogger unfortunately found April's body in a ditch, not very far. Very unfortunately, it was just a couple streets away. And an autopsy actually revo- revealed that she had been dead for about two to three days, so likely not long after she'd gone missing. And she had been sexually assaulted and strangled. Yeah. And I normally wouldn't mention something like that, but it is very important in the case and how everything was found out later. So a little further from the site, her shoes were also found along with a sex toy, which was found in a shopping bag and seemed to be thrown out the window of a car. And that's, they were kind of just thrown on the street. Like I said, seemed to be thrown out the window. So they were just kind of laying on the ground. And a few years later, there wasn't really much from the case at that point. They didn't have much to go off of. And even though they had this DNA evidence, well, two years later, so in 1990, a couple, and this is in the same town, this is still in Fort Wayne, but it's no one related to April. It's just a random barn um, painted on that barn. It said, I kill eight-year-old April Tinsley. And did you find the shoe? Did you find the other shoe? Ha ha, I will kill again. Her shoes were found, but like I said, they had kind of been strewn, so they weren't together. And... This was written as if a child had written it just so they're taking from this that maybe the person who did this crime wasn't that smart. Maybe he was a little uneducated or something of the sort because as I read before, the sentence doesn't make too much sense, but you can understand what they're saying from it. Yeah. And they, I mean, they couldn't really do anything with this. Realistically, that could have just been some kids pulling a prank or, you know, I mean... Although it wasn't reported in the paper about the shoe, word does get around mm-hmm. that the shoes were thrown out the window and, you know, were found later. So they don't really know. There's nothing they can do with that either, which is just very unfortunate. And it's already been two years since this girl's death. Even more time goes by. And a couple of years later, so in 2004, so keep in mind, she passed away in 1988. So that's what, 16 years later? Some crimes keep occurring. So notes are left in plastic bags. And this is about to get a little gross as if it wasn't already, but notes were left in plastic bags with used condoms and inappropriate Polaroids confessing to the murder of April Tinsley and threatening to kidnap a girl that was being written to. So there were four notes written, three notes. They were all to four different girls. Three of them were left in the bags 
and placed on these girls' bikes, and one was left in a girl's mailbox. And just insanely creepy, disgusting, and even more DNA and evidence that they can't do anything with. So it's really just, like, taunting them at this point. And that was in 2004. And then, luckily, in 2015, DNA was reanalyzed just by DNA being put back through the system. And this time, it was cross-referenced with data available all data available, and revealed that the perpetrator was one of two brothers. And then DNA from a piece of trash was actually used to determine which brother it was. And when they immediately, they just knocked on his door. They didn't, they had, um, they were ready if they needed to deal with him, but really they just knocked on his door and they said, do you know what this is about? And he immediately knew it was about April Tinsley and he admitted that. He admitted to the murder and everything and was given 80 years in prison. So... This is a case where DNA evidence really came into play and this genealogy really came in because they were able to cross-reference that DNA. However, and again with the Golden State Killer, that happened as well. Mm -hmm. But Ancestry and 23andMe, which are two of the biggest genealogy sites, have both refused to provide DNA evidence for law enforcement. And there's also been a pushback from public... There's been a pushback from the public communities urging the legislature to restrict public investigation of this data because a lot of people feel that it's a privacy breach. Yeah. And they've actually begun, so legislature has begun putting restrictions in place for these types of data. However, they are really loose. I have it up and I can read a bit of it for you, but it's not very definitive. So it really just says, under this policy, police can't quietly upload a fake profile to a genealogy website as some have done in hopes of finding a suspect in hopes of finding a suspect's distinct relatives without first identifying themselves. So basically they just have to identify themselves as who they are when collecting this data and they can't, but it also doesn't say they can't get that data from directly from the source. So if Ancestry and 23andMe did agree to give it to them. So again, it's just very loose. So I was just interested to see what you thought about that. Do you think this data should be accessible to the police and investigators or is this a breach in, in personal expected privacy? What do you think about it? Because honestly, I'm not super sure where I stand at the moment. Yeah. I think it's, it's important and can help, but... It's really hard to have to like... Because there's a moral ground, but then there's a research ground where mm-hmm. if genealogy, like DNA searches, is the end-all be-all to catch a brutal serial offender... Mm-hmm. I think that that should be allowed. Yeah, especially if there's so much DNA here. There's so many, so much DNA that was just given and acted like he was flaunting it. He was literally taunting this evidence and being like, you can't catch me. Yeah, and especially in the sense that it's a child as a victim and it's, Mm -hmm. it's these horrible, disgusting acts done to a child, then yes, absolutely. But I think it, I think in the case, there should be a clause where, yes, this is DNA that you're given uh, given willingly to an organization under the clause that is going to be privately um, stored Well, I think the biggest argument is you can find people's relatives through this. For instance, with the Golden State Killer, he's not the one that put that in there. Yeah. And they were just able to find like a distant cousin, realize it's in yeah. the family and track it that way. But I do think that in terms of like, serial offenders and violent crime there should be an option for this stuff to be used but mm-hmm. i do think that when there's dna evidence and there's no hits that should be the case 
but it is this weird gray area of like yeah you know, well the thing is information who's stopping them from just using the information to learn whatever they'd like about people because exactly. obviously there's a lot of information within this data and my thing is I do want these cases to be solved but it's also it's possible that sometimes people can for instance you were talking about I know a lot of cases where there's DNA evidence of someone being there, but that doesn't mean they did this crime. And exactly. it gets in a very difficult position and the criminal justice system doesn't always favor certain groups of people, which is a very big issue within our system. Yeah. And, and it could also like harm the family members who have absolutely no idea because mm-hmm. it's hard. And then also when it comes, um, we mentioned this last week when I was talking about um, like forensic dentistry, mm-hmm. twins, uh, identical yeah. twins, their DNA. What if you catch one, realize it's the wrong one, et cetera. So like you need, it cannot be the end all be all. You need other evidence, which That's I think what is I'm thinking. Really I think it should be accessible, but I think DNA mm-hmm. should never be the only evidence. And that's another issue within the CSI effect. Everyone thinks DNA is the only evidence that matters. Mm-mm, no, it's not. It's not because there's a lot of reasons someone's DNA can be there. Obviously in this situation that I just discussed, someone's semen is not going to be in a bag without them putting it there. But, you know, in cases where it's a hair or like something very normal. Mm-hmm. Like, Absolutely. And it, it's, it's, DNA is very precious in the mm-hmm. world of criminology. But again, there are so many other levels of research and evidence that mm-hmm. needs to be there. Um, there needs to be probable cause rather than just... Because mm-hmm. like DNA can also be planted. It's yeah. something that happens. So there needs to be other information, not dubious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like again, last week, we said dubious at best. Like that's not okay. It needs to be definitive, scientifically accepted evidence for these mm-hmm. cases because a lot of the times yes it does catch uh, a, a serial offender it does give justice to the family to the victims a peace of mind for the community but it can also put an innocent life away exactly so we need to be especially just everyone within the criminal justice <clears throat> system needs to be cautious exactly taking these things into account and this is a case-to-case basis obviously Ted Bundy case we talked about last week, or you talked about, I'm sorry. Ted Bundy case that you talked about last week, the April Tinsley case, Golden State Killer case. These are all cases where it was definitive, but there are also a lot of cases where there's DNA involved, where there's multiple people's DNA included and people, it's just not handled very well. Yeah, And And partial DNA matches as well. Exactly. Yeah. So taking these into account, realizing that this is not be all end all, this is not... 100% 100% mean this is the person who did this crime just looking at it and not just closing a case isn't the end game of should not be the end game within mm-hmm. the criminal justice system it should be getting justice and keeping dangerous people off the streets exactly and again that the criminal justice system as itself needs to be reformed we've talked mm-hmm. about this before it's necessary but then also understanding that technology the technology that we have, DNA processing, uh, even computer like power, relatively newer compared to the span of ex- human existence. Mm-hmm. Like we still are making advances every year. 
every month per se. So technology is growing and we're going to find more ways to like compare criminology or cross-section criminology and technology. And it's going to get further and further into this. But at the same time, human error is such a big thing compared to uh, it's still technical error, human error, processing error, it's constant it's you know we can't rely on it one singular thing because there's a lot of factors in place mm-hmm. I feel like I went on a tangent there but at the it's same okay time, me like, too this stuff gets me really worked up because this stuff is important these are things that matter but there are still issues within our system that we both care a lot about and we're both very passionate about that so we want to address them yeah so but yeah, that was, was very important information and a very important case, a very mm-hmm. a hard case to talk about, but it does very have difficult. extreme importance. Mm-hmm. What were you weren't wanting to talk about today? So I also have a, a case that has a trigger warning. Um, so this week I'm going to be going over Uh, geographic profiling. Uh, This isn't necessarily a singular case, but I am going to go into like a little bit details on an example of a case in which geographic profiling uh, helped catch a serial uh, sexual offender. So again, trigger warning for this section. Um, But so a lot of this goes into crime mapping and crime mapping is super interesting to me. I'm currently in a uh, I'm doing the crime uh, analyst certificate. In I'm my so program, jealous. Uh, which is really cool. But from that, it actually, like, the main focus of this is crime mapping. Using mapping software, using open data sources uh, from, you know, certain cities, uh, as well as the police uh, database. And we can check that into an Excel sheet. And then from that, as long as we have the longitude and latitude, and latitude, mm-hmm. uh, and then of course the classification of crime, we're able to actually map out um, where certain offenses have happened uh, in a couple of different ways. There's also like there's the basic mapping, which is just uh, you have a, a dot or a symbol that was related to a certain crime, and that's put on a map. Um, and then you can upload different, like, uh, what we, we call polygon files. So mm-hmm. these are going to be, um, like, rivers. And it'll map out a river. Any water basin, parks, high schools, uh, neighborhoods. You can... And that usually and, gives you a sense of, like, what's going on there, right? Exactly. So instead of just, like, a blank terrain map, you can kind of go into it. And you can actually do the same thing uh, on Google Maps, uh, which is really interesting. You can actually go into it and upload an Excel f- uh, sheet, and it's going to pinpoint map where certain things have occurred using the current updated Google knowledge. So that's also really helpful because uh, I like the program that I use, which I'm going to go into in a little bit in a second. But it, currently I'm working on a project for this class where I'm looking at aggravated, uh, aggravated assault trends in Atlanta, 
uh, comparing the year 2009 and 2019 because they're both end of decade years. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it was just I kind of had to come up with a question based off the data that I could get from the Atlanta Police Department's open data source. Um, so I'm looking at trends. And the one thing with the 2019 data is that I can, since it's relatively close, I can look at a Google map and seeing when it was updated. And then mm-hmm. if like there's a hot spot, which means uh, a lot of cases are, you know, singular into a single area or a single street, I can uh, go in and being like, okay, what's this around? Is it a social district, a residential district, commercial district? Mm-hmm. Are these businesses new or have mm-hmm. they been there? Um, so Google Maps is great for that. Awesome. Um, but the main technology that I use is... ArcMap or ArcGIS, uh, which is a program that works with maps and geographic information. And it was developed by the Environmental Systems Research Institute or ERSI. Oh, sorry. ERC. ESRI. I can't read. This is hard. God. You um, sounded so smart for a hot minute there. I know. It's fine. But it was, it was uh, developed in 1999. Um, and this is a program that I use. Um, it's really, it's kind of glitchy, mainly because I'm currently accessing a remote server. Uh, so it runs on PCs only. I have oh. a Mac. Oh. So our school is great in the sense that they have a virtual computer lab. So I'm able to remote access the computer at our, uh, you know, in our library. All That's the way cool. From I didn't know we had that. Oh, I'll send you the link. It's actually really nice. You can use like Photoshop and like uh, SPSS for free. It's you mean to tell me that our professors didn't tell us this this whole time? Well, I think uh, at least my professor did for crime mapping, but we haven't needed to use SPSS this quarter. Like the last two quarters, everybody was freaking oh. out about buying SPSS. No, that it didn't exist then. It only existed because of oh, the that makes situation. Sense. Okay. Yeah, but also SPSS can suck it. Ugh. SPSS is so disrespectful she never wants to listen to me I was dealing with her the other day and just like looking over some of my data that I used for my um whatchamacallit thesis thesis proposal yeah yeah and it was just the data from the previous study that I was looking at but she didn't want to listen and she was just being so rude and I'm already annoyed with it and I haven't even started I know. And it's like, so for those who don't know what SPSS is, it is a, uh, it stands for Statistical Package for the Social Sciences. Um, But that was like, so that's the original name. And I guess now it's just changed to Statistical Product and Service Solutions. This is news to me. That's news to me too. But basically it's a program that's, uh, used for statistics uh and it's a very click and drag which is how yeah. i like to call it compared to syntax which well you is, do have a syntax option you have a syntax option but other programs like stata r or r studio uh there's definitely more but these are programs that are used more widely within the field and within a doctoral program or a research program you're only going to see people do syntax so but so SPSS is good for learning but when you're in a field like criminology I don't know why they're having us use um SPSS because you're not going to use it in any other sense which is annoying 
Yeah, but, it's really difficult because I've been trained on that so many times, and that's the one I primarily know how to use. Exactly. I don't really know how to use data. I kind of do, and I can do syntax a little bit enough to get me through, but it would be a struggle exactly. if I had to just use data. Yeah. So uh, shout out to any, uh, you know, fledging criminologists out there. <laughs> Learn syntax, please. Do don't when be like us. It's optional. Do it anyway. Yeah, do it anyway. It's going to help you so much. But you can run analysis in SBSS. You can run analysis actually within ArcMap uh, to figure out the rate of crime around certain areas. Oh, that's pretty neat. Which is really nice. Um, But you have to do... Yeah, exactly. So it's a little bit of math, but it's the same coding idea, syntax, and equation. So, of course, ArcMap also uses freaking syntax. So learn syntax. (laughs) <laughs> but just do it <laughs> exactly but basically arcmap and argis or they're kind of the same they use they're used in a bunch of different ways but specifically in the lens of criminology one of the main ways that these are used is by a, a thing called geographic profiling no this is not landscape profiling uh we normally people know profiling as like FBI behavioral analysis CIA yeah like but there's a lot of issues with profiling I'm not going to get into it in this episode but geographic profiling uh based on the the definition uh, with the Texas State Center for Geospatial Intelligence Investigation which I'm going to go into a little bit uh geographic profiling is an investigative support technique for serial violent crime investigations. The process analyzes locations connected to a series of crimes to determine the most probable area in which the offender lives. So break that that, down for me. Okay. So basically the idea of geospatial analysis is you have a bunch of hotspots or a, a bunch of geographic points within a map area where a serial offender is hit or you might think there's a serial offender uh the best way that i can describe this is like arson okay most serial arsonists will not get out in their car and drive to an area where they have never been before to commit a crime that actually goes for all crime you're not going to go to be somewhere you're comfortable you want to be somewhere you're comfortable you want to know the trends want to know if there's cameras or anything an area where you can easily survey without being suspicious Mm -hmm. so you're going to go into a neighborhood where you're comfortable with that you know of that you can find an easy alibi this is not instructions for how to do arson by the way no no it is Uh. not but this is the current please don't set things on fire please don't um, please don't it can but this is just what people harm. do exactly but if i'm an arsonist i'm going to commit crimes around where i reside an mm-hmm. area that is special to me this can be your house a partner's house an office uh a bar you really like somewhere that you frequent often and you're aware of the surrounding area So with uh, geospatial profiling, investigation, et cetera, it helps locate where a serial offender may live based on the geographic profile of the locations in which the offenses were committed. That makes sense. So to get into a little bit more, 
The current director for the Center of Geospatial Intelligence and Investigation uh, in the Department of Criminal Justice at Texas State is a man called Kim Rosmo. Now, Kim Rosmo created a formula that helped helps do what geospatial uh, analysis and geographic profiling does, which again yeah. is locating where a serial offender may live based off of the crimes area in which uh, crimes that were committed. Uh, so it's called Rosmo's formula. I'm not going to get into the statistics behind it because it's still kind of boggling to me, but it gives the probability of a location based on buffer zones and known locations. And buffer zones are like, if you're looking at a map, it's like a border or a neutral zone. It conjoins or separates multiple locations. Okay. So the main idea of the formula is that the probability of crimes um, first increases as one moves through the buffer zone away from the hot zone, which is, you know, where the crime is going to be committed, and then mm-hmm. decreases afterwards. So, like, it's going to get really – it's like hot potato. Okay. You can be in an area where it's, like, warm, 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 hot, 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 or you can get too far away from hot and it gets cold. Yeah. Um. So – Basically, yeah, so there's a single variable, which they call F, is chosen that it works best on the data of past crimes. And then there's also a variable G, which is like geographic location. So it's really confusing. I I will link the formula if anyone wants to look at it, but I don't understand it. But basically, this formula is used in a a program called RIGEL, um, it's actually pre- still published by ESRI, and actually Kim Rosmo helped found this org- uh, this uh, research uh, institute. Yeah. So uh, it's similar to ArcMap, but it, so Rigel is similar to ArcMap, but it uses Rosmo's formula to, again, figure out a possible zone area in which the home base for the offender would be. Uh, so Kim Rosmo's most notable work is actually on the Robert Picton case. Um, do you know? I was supposed to ask that sounds so familiar, but okay. I'm, it's not clicking. I would like a refresher, please. So his me. nickname is the Pig Man. Oh, uh, oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but basically, I'm not going to get into uh, Robert Picton this time. I want to cover him in depth in a later episode. And honestly, this might be like a two-person case because it is incredibly important. So we might do a mm-hmm. joint episode on this if you're up for it. It'd be fun, yeah. Yeah. But basically, he's a trash can serial killer responsible for the deaths and mutilation of many sex workers in Vancouver, uh, Canada. I thought um, you were about to say Washington. I was like, I didn't know it was here. No, it was in Canada. Um But basically, Kim Rosmo founded the Geographic Profiling Unit in the Vancouver PD. Within this time period, so while Robert Picton was creating horrible, horrible crimes and causing havoc in this area um, for sex workers, because a lot of people ignored... No one gave them the attention it deserved because of their social status. Absolutely, and especially the Vancouver PD. But again, I will not get into it for this episode. But basically, uh, Picton was convicted in 2002 based on the geographic profiling evidence that Rosmo's analyses found. But the police department actually didn't respect or believe in his work, which led to his dismissal from the department in 2001. So there's a lot of things to cover here. I already hate this police department. They're so stupid. Yeah. So, But basically, Picton is a nasty son of a bitch. And it's probable that if the Vancouver PD had just 
like used Rosmo's analyses earlier, mm-hmm. Picton would have been formally caught much earlier and a lot of lives would have been spared. That would have also but, taken caring taken them caring about this case, which they should, they did not. Yes, exactly. But today I I briefly because I really just wanted to talk about geospatial analysis because I it's so fascinating and it's another way for us to map out a serial offender. Because again, Callie covered like DNA and mm-hmm. genealogy uses of DNA, but which is another way to when you don't have any leads. Mm-hmm. But there's not always DNA. Exactly, there's not always DNA. So in cases like this, if you have you pop, pop probable cause, probable cause for a serial offender, you have a lot of hot spots, and you might have a victim list in general, and you have victim like you have a possible physical, uh, like idea of what the person might look like. Mm-hmm. Then you can really limit the suspect pool. Exactly. Yeah. So this isn't one of those things, again, this isn't completely definitive, but it helps you narrow it down, which is something that mm-hmm. always helps. Absolutely. So the case I briefly want to cover today is actually a case called Operation Lynx, uh, which is interesting. So again, trigger warning, very important case, but very sensitive information. Um, so in... 1996, Kim Rossmo was brought to the UK to work on a case. Basically, the UK was hit with a string of brutal sexual assaults over 15 years. Um, so before geographic profiling, there were 12,122 suspects in total, which is an insane That's number. not even fathomable. Exactly. So basically, they just have like, you know, they're this just like, it's 15, a dude. Yeah, this is That's where these 15 assaults happen. We might have some eyewitness characters. Like, basically, it's every single male within that age range within yeah. these towns. A lot of people. Aww. And that's what they were working with. And this sexual offender was still committing horrible acts against innocent people while they were like, well, we have 12,000 suspects. It's like, that's not limiting anything. It's not doing anything. You need to do something to exactly. narrow this down. Exactly. With Rosmo's input and Rigel, they determined that the offender lived in the Milgarth and Killingbeck districts. I don't know where these are, but basically they figured out this is the most highest probable areas in which this person might live. Mm-hmm. So from that, they could take those district information and going into records. So what they did is they went, the police went through 7,000 fingerprints of viable candidates from these districts. 7,000. This took 940 hours roughly to do. Jesus. But they had found a fingerprint on some of the scenes. So now that they have this Was it a whole fingerprint? Was it like enough to have actual evidence? I'm not actually, to be completely honest, now that I'm realizing, I don't actually know. But um, it, so there is a manual search of a fingerprint that was at two lo- for the two locations. So it seemed like they did have a, like an actual fingerprint, but okay. they had to do a manual search of it. Um, but because, well, if it's at two locations, that definitely supports it as well. Yeah. So they had, again, 7,000 fingerprints of viable candidates 
took 940 hours. What year was this? 1996. Okay, so they definitely didn't have the software to be mm-hmm. gaining through it. No, but they had Rigel. And they had, they, they had manpower. Mm-hmm, they had that formula. So the, geo, the, the result of the geographic profiling was successful in this case. It was also, I would like to also note that it was successful because of the fact that they went through and took the time to look through all of those fingerprints. 940 hours. That's so much work. Exactly. So the suspect found by a subsequent DNA test, so they also had DNA from these 15 sexual assault cases, was a man named Clive Barwell. He was a married man, a father of three, and a lorry driver. A what driver? A lorry driver. What's that? A truck driver. Oh, okay. Like an 18-wheeler? Yeah, like big haul truck, but it's also, I think it might just be British terminology, and I'm stupid. (laughs) Do you live in England? Yeah. (laughs) Never said I was intelligent. Fair, fair. Um, So the... uh, According to Kim Rosma, this is a, a direct quote, the offender's residence was in the top 3% of the geo profile without any prior, uh, prioritizing, prioritization. Prioritization. Yeah, without any prioritiz- to, uh, Without any prioritization. I can't even say it. Hold on, I'll uh, just say it for you. <laughs> fuck. Without any prioritization. I'm going to just I'm gonna skip it. Okay. <laughs> Okay. They didn't prioritize. No. The offender's residence was in the top 3% of the geo profile. The offender would have been found, on average, in the top 50% of the area. During our last meeting, the detectives told me that the investigation was winding down. If the priorities were wrong, it was unlikely Barwell would have been identified in time. In so, time? In time for the investigation to go cold. Oh. Or for him to strike again. Yeah. It's unclear. But, but it was found. Mm-hmm. But it, it was indeed Clive Barwell. He pled guilty. Yay. Well, not yay, but like yay that it's, they yeah. found him. Good job. So this is the way that geographic profiling worked, um, which is super great. But there, I mean, there's still some issues with geographic profiling. Again, it's not absolute. You can get into its probability. Probability is never concrete. So you can, there's so many probable outcomes. In some cases, probable outcomes are, it can be unlimited. So you're getting all this information. You have all of these, you know, suspects. And even the top 3% of a suspect list that is 12,000 people long among two cities or districts with 700 fingerprints, that's still not perfect. So you see that they combined a fingerprint, geographic profiling, and DNA. And those three combinations got them. Exactly. But geographic profiling, in a sense, is is not absolute either. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important for people to realize is that nothing is like like CSI. Like that's fabricated and dramatized because it's interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but realistically, but one piece of evidence is not going to solve a case. And if it did, there would be an issue because people would be wrongfully convicted even more than they already are. 
Exactly. So again, it's really important for us to keep on developing these softwares, mm-hmm. learn how to use them properly, because it's really hard to train someone to use any software for geospatial analysis. Mm-hmm. I am two quarters in to learning how to use crime mapping, and I'm using a single program. I can't even begin to wrap my head around using Rosmo's formula because it is, there's two formulas in one and it's like big and Greek letters galore. And it's also based on data that you don't know if that data is correct. It's based Mm -hmm. on longitude latitude. And if that was reported wrong, if you did the formula correct, it's still not going to be right. Mm -hmm. So it's important that you, if you're going to do these things, you do it right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But that is, that is what I had to cover today. Sorry, it was, it was kind awesome. of confusing, but it was, it was confusing, but it was very educational. Like it was one of those things that I would never think to look into. Mm-hmm. But when you bring it up, it's like, wow, that is, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. And I want to learn more. Yeah. But I think it's really important to learn about geospatial uh, profiling, geographic profiling before going into the Robert Picton case, mm-hmm. because that entire case even if we spend both of us doing our normal episode length on it, I don't know if we're going to get into that much, like the the complete detail of that case because it's huge. Yeah. So last podcast on the left does an amazing series on the Robert Picton case. They've done so much research. I highly recommend that, that uh, episode series if you really want to get into it, but they didn't really cover the analysis portion and that's huge. So that's why I wanted to cover it today. So we can set it up for next time when we talk about Robert Pickton. And we're ready to rumble. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. Well, thanks for tuning in everybody. Whoever's listening. All right. So we will be posting every two weeks, so bi-weekly and we look forward to talking to y'all more the week after next. Absolutely. So stay safe, stay healthy, uh, wear a goddamn mask if you're outside. Please. Social distance and I don't know, go drink a beer. Like that. <laughs> good. Yeah, you can do if that. You're, if you're legal. If you're of age. Yeah. We are. Bye, friends. We are, yeah. Yes, We're of age. That's why there's a white claw in the baby picture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, that baby ain't legal. <laughs> to cop and be like something don't add up here this don't look like them this ID don't match. it's you want to know what I look like I'm gonna look exactly like that <laughs> I look exactly like that that is a picture of me yesterday exactly here we are but it's yes. on my ID <laughs> <laughs> same <laughs> governmental approved <laughs> uh. <laughs> all right y'all thanks mm. for tuning in to bad grads bye <laughs>